Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. On this week's episode of Unwritten. And now Barucki hits Kiermeyer on the first pitch, and it's just natural to wonder if this has anything to do with the yesterday and the, the card that he picked up. I had a piece of paper right there, picked it up, and at that point, I'm not giving it back. I was joking with somebody that their biggest free agent acquisition is Carlos Beltran. I know how it works, you know. Next pitch, there's the changeup. Bang, bang, takes it. Hello and welcome to Unwritten from Odyssey and MLB. My name is Ron Darling. With me, of course, is Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy, we have a spicy topic today, one that's been in the news almost nonstop for the last couple of years. Yeah, this episode is all about sign stealing. (laughs) Now, teams have been trying to steal each other's signs forever because it can be such a huge Mm -hmm. advantage if you know what's coming. And MLB has had an, a written rule since 2000 outlawing the use of technology to help steal signs. The Astros violated it, and other teams as well, by the way, but the Astros paid for it. And we all know what happened there. But the unwritten rules of how players and coaches on the field can steal signs are more fluid. We're going to define those rules today and break them down with the help from the one and only John Boy. But first, Jimmy, do you have any good sign-stealing stories from your career? Um. I mean, nothing that led to anything, but yeah, I mean, I was doing my damnedest to steal everybody's sign. I got on second base. Actually, I would do it from first base. I would figure it out before then. And with technology today, look, everyone has the same advantage. No one's at a disadvantage. You have a center field camera looking at the pitchers, um, looking at the catcher signs. You can tell when a pitcher acknowledges it, um, and he throws a pitch. You have guys that are in everyone everyone's batting cage area right above where they're sitting on a computer and they're writing the catcher sequences uh, sequences down and circling the pitch. So everybody knows what sign everybody's using. It's up to the team, to that pitch, to understand that if we're doing this, the other team has to be doing that. So to keep your signs on rotation that, okay, maybe for the first inning we'll give them what they're looking for. You know, if a guy gets on, we'll give them what they're looking for. But as soon as, you know, a guy gets on a second time, then we're going to have to switch it up. And, you know, whether it's go to touches 
or um, you, um, you know, sign after two stri- strikes plus one, outs plus one, all those different things. You have yeah. to be aware of it. So uh, Chase, who was a teammate of mine, I mean, he was he he had to be uh, <laughs> he, he, had, he had to be the most um, suspecting of other people stealing signs because he knew that we oh. did it. He would run in. He would look at guys. So he's he paranoid. Dirt, straight paranoia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he he come to guys, talk to them, you know, distract them. Let hey hey, I I, I see what you're doing. You know, trying to put that fear of them, like something might happen. So uh, that's about as, as as far as it went, as far as um you know anything close to happening. But I know they tried to you know pick up on me picking and giving signs, and you know they come up and tell me, hey, I know what you're doing. I'm like, good, well stop us. You know what I'm saying? Because you have no idea what I'm doing because we just switched it up before today's game, what we're going to use to let you know I have the sign. So there's it's, it's always something done. Like they say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Mm. And it isn't cheating if I can beat you at your game. But what is cheating is using technology in real yeah. time to cheat the game and to take advantage of the other team. That's the difference. Sign stealing is perfectly okay in the game. As long as you're picking fairly, everybody has the same uh, advantage. Um, no one's at a disadvantage. But using it in real time, signaling, whistling, playing music, banging on trash cans, for example, <laughs> that's, that's outright cheating. Well, if you're playing poker and every time uh, one of your mates gets a good hand and he starts to play with his chips, that's not cheating. It's just he's bad at his game. Uh, but I do know from the pitcher's point of view, I was always trying to make sure that hitters weren't or base runners weren't trying to take advantage. And it started in the box because not many, I would say a half a dozen in my career, and I played almost 15 years, a half a dozen in my career, you had peakers, mm-hmm. uh, guys that would, you could tell that they weren't really looking for signs because it's hard enough to get that. They were looking for a location yep. late. So they would see where the catcher's setting up. That would have to be taken care of in, in a certain way, usually with a putt pitch up and in, or you could just walk off the mound and I once said to a player, I won't say who it is because I don't want to embarrass him, but I walked off the mat and said, do not do that. Do not do that again. I know what you're doing. Um, guys at first base, you had to be very careful because I had a catcher who used to always have that flared right leg. Loved it. In the... <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. He always had that flared right leg. And then on, on real hot days, if they didn't have any sleeves on, you could really see them. Uh, give the change-up sign. Their whole forearm would ripple if mm-hmm. they were very muscular, you know? So you could see that. Or you could see the breaking ball, which meant you as a as a guy who loved to steal bases, that's a great pitch to run on. The guy gets on second base now. What I remember, I don't remember guys stealing signs as much because I always felt like my signs were complicated enough. I didn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. But if you had a catcher who was a little lazy that day, or or just that's the way he was, would set up too early inside or out. I remember the second baseman would take his, uh, sorry, the runner on second would take his lead and put his left hand out towards the bag or his right hand out towards third base, and he was given location. If he went to third base, that pitch is inside. If he went to second base, that pitch is going to be outside to a right-handed hitter. Mm-hmm. So I was always um, not as paranoid as, as Chase Utley, but I was always had a bit of paranoia to make sure that you weren't being taken advantage that way. So the unwritten rule, really, is players and coaches in uniform can attempt to decipher the signs and relay them to teammates on the field. But involving other team personnel or using technology, as Jimmy said, you, you nailed it. 
and spelled it out. You know, the, there's been so many, there's histories of, of signs being stole, stolen from the 1870s. Um, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about the Astros. We also um, heard a little bit about the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Red Sox were using, I think, an Apple Watch um, to try to uh, figure it out. Um, but, you know, in two separate memos in 2017 and 18, after a lot of the iPads and things were being used on the bench, uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred finally addressed it and said, it was really, I always thought the memo was like this. I know what you guys have been doing. So from today, do not do it anymore. And I think that's why, you know, the Astros um, were, were fine the way they were fined. A lot of teams were trying to get that advantage, but they would get the advantage of the sign sequence stealing. So what would happen is when they got on second base, they would know to be able to relay the signs. What the Astros did, mm-hmm. they, they <laughs> took it to a, a new a level. A whole nother planet. Because, well, you know what happens is that it's addictive. So you know it when the sign, when you're on second, uh, runners on second base, you know the signs. Yep. But now you're like, I hit a home run my last at bat. I got to have these signs all the time. And that's where I think the trash bang uh, trash banging of the trash can happened because guys are like, okay, how can we take this to not only pitches on second, not only pitches uh, that we know, but every single pitch. And I think that's what cost, boy, uh, Alex Corey's job. Mm-hmm. It called uh, um, AJ, AJ Hinch. Hinch cost him his job. Carlos Beltran. Yep. Yeah, he lost his uh, lost his job with the with the Mets. So. Um, I wonder if uh, I wonder with this new technology now how they're going to try to stop it. Um, I think. How, what do you like about uh, this? Is even better. Sorry. What about the pitchcom? Do you like it so far? Um, it's it's the ability <sighs> of the catcher to deliver the signs. You know it, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be working so great so far. Well, um, you know that that's one way to counter uh, for the catchers and pitchers. Is that there is no sign? There's a button that he pushes. Uh, pushes. There's a earpiece in, and you know it, it's recorded. You know it's recorded by the catcher, or whomever uh, they designate as, as the voice for that moment, and it's done in each player's language, which makes it uh, a lot easier. And I don't like it. I love the fact yeah. that you give signs. You know, and and it's and it's it's just been part of the game. Give the sign to the pitch, shake it off. I agree with it, and throw the pitch. Um, it's effectiveness. I'm not sure. I, I don't think it necessarily, you know, changes the success rate of a pitcher getting hit or out or a batter um, or teams not being able to, to pick up on things. There's still ways, you know, to pick up on something. It could be in a glove and you could still relay it. But th- that's something that that they're trying to do. And um, this is the pilot year and we'll see how it works. Maybe it speeds the game up a little bit. People talk about the pace of play all the time. And but I mean, if you press the wrong button, you know, you still just like getting a signal. He's going to shake it off or he's, he's going to agree to it. So it's a little different. I love technology. I don't like it in a game as much. Uh, but I guess in, in light of what's happening, you know, with, with, you know, real time cheating happening, that's one way to counter it. You know, it's funny on broadcasts, I can decipher, um, a pitcher's signs with his catcher, um, within two batters. It's, mm-hmm. it's very easy. Cause, um, um, and, and guys don't make it as complicated as they should. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with the catcher and the pitcher. Sometimes they just, that relationship, they can't really go to that third level of making sure the signs are 
are difficult uh, to decipher. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Call for the changeup. Bang, bang. And Farquhar steps off and says, can you hear it? Hey, they got the signs. We got to change this. I'm really sorry about the choices that were made by my team. This is for baseball. It's for the Astros. And it's for A.J. Hinch, who had the most pompous quotes looking back. Well, Jimmy Rollins, we're lucky to have on Unwritten Jimmy O'Brien of John Boy. And Jimmy, I'll never forget the first time that I really dove into your content I had spent the week prior doing a, I don't know, weekend game for the Yankees, with the Yankees, and Aaron Boone and I were talking about Brett Gardner. And I said, what do you think about Brett Gardner? What do you think about? What's the word you think about? He says, he's a savage. And I thought that was just a word I had never heard to describe a ball player. And then when your, your great baseball content captured it with Booney getting thrown out of a game, uh, walk me through that afternoon game. Yeah, that was afternoon game. It was a... Uh... Uh, a makeup of a rainout from the day before uh, on a weekday. So no one's in the crowd <laughs> at all. No one's quiet. happy about that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, he was getting on the ump from the start. So it's kind of the perfect storm. There's no fans around. They had the hot mics picked up a lot of the words. And then I could fill in the blanks on the other. And it was just uh, – I mean, I, I watched the video a lot because there's, there's a lot of uh, funny lines that are said. Booney's 
he's pretty funny when he gets going because he's like constructive and so earnest, but also kind of ripping the ump apart. You know, I think the first words he says is just really bad start, which cracks me up. <laughs> pretty honest. Uh, and then the savages in the box. It's just like, you're right. Is, that's, is that normal to like, you know, it's interesting to hear that he had used that before. You would guess it. You can't just be dropping that the first time screaming in front of the ump because the ump is like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, uh, what does that have to do with me? Uh, but for, on our end, as soon as that happens and I'm making it, we kind of, I worked every single game. We still do. And just had kind of a, all the stuff in place to attack big moments like that. So like I was making the video, doing the lip reading, calling our graphic designer. We got to make shirts. He was actually just buying a house. So I then did the design so we could put out some shirts and it was just a whole, it was crazy. That was the first thing um, we did that left the internet. Like they talked about it on WFN radio and ESPN wrote an article on us. And I was on MLB TV talking about stuff. So that was the first time we'd been doing it for two years and growing nicely where we, we jumped to like, you know, legacy, legacy, legacy media mm. audiences, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot just Booney being a crazy guy. So, <laughs> well, when I, when I think of Booney having those kind of arguments, it's part his dad, Bob Boone, and part Stanford. So he's got the real educated side <laughs> that he begins with. But his dad had a um, had a way about him as, as well. So Jimmy and I on the show of Unwritten, we're talking about unwritten, unwritten rules uh, in the game, but we're talking about uh, sign stealing. And you really flushed out and broke uh, your baseball content uh is um, beyond when it comes to entertaining. But this one to me was the first time that it was also entertaining and it was investigative journalism at its best. Yeah, I a lot of credit, and I'm going to say a lot, I mean, like all the credit goes to Rosenthal and Drellich and The Athletic, and then for getting guys like um, Fires and Farquhar on the record talking about it, because um, they really risk a lot putting that story out. Uh, what I did was I, I read it. I read it. I read a lot of the athletic. I like, and it was so uh, interesting. And then coming from an audio video background, I kind of, I said, wait, I mean, this is a reliever who's talking about an appearance in Houston. They, he, how many times is a reliever a, a pitch in a, a, a way ballpark, uh, especially when they're not in the same division. So that's probably easy to find. So if you go to Farquhar's game log from that season and, and you find it and then you just just listened I was like wonder if I can hear this banging he's talking about it and it was so clear and obvious because he said he steps off the mound because he heard it so next pitch there's the change up bang bang takes it there was the off speed now it's like wait what what's going on here now look fastball outside so quick, two signs. Geared up for the fastball, fouls it off. Next pitch, change up, bang, bang. Bang, bang, and Farquhar steps off and says, can you hear it? I kind of did that naturally. Like I, I, I used to listen to, I listen to podcasts. I would listen to the uh, R2C2 podcast with um, Ruko and Sabathia, and, and they would talk about old stories of, uh, you know, their playing days and stuff. And speaking of Brett Gardner, like he had a triple and I would go find the footage because podcasts. Just, so I just always did that. And then I started sharing that, what I would find and, and like walking it through um, quickly so other people can kind of see the same thing I saw or, you know, tell that story. But it went crazy because 
the athletic is the written word behind a paywall in our day and age. I made a two minute video on uh, every social media channel. So, I mean, that blew up. That one went bigger than the internet, went bigger than baseball, went bigger than sports. Cause it's, it's a, an appealing story for anyone. You know, your, your grandma, your aunt that doesn't care about sports, they're going to tune in for a cheating scandal. So that was a huge story. <laughs> Who doesn't let, like a good cheating scandal. Yeah. Um, my, my question uh, along those lines, when you have something like this, uh, you know, uh, something that can change people's careers. Uh, you talked about the guys putting, you know, their, their, their careers on the line. When you decide to break a story of, of this nature, you're also putting yourself on the line and understanding, you know, the consequences that can come because of it. So what or when do you decide, OK, this is something that needs to happen versus, OK, maybe not as much? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's how it's presented. For for me, that was like Ron said that I I made it, and I I said to uh, Jake, my partner here, and I said that felt more like journalism than an entertaining video, mm -hmm. um, which doesn't feel natural, really. Like I like diving into things, but I always like sharing it in a voice that's like this is just me, um, and I think we've outgrown that a little bit too much, and I think during the course of that video, I outgrew it before I realized it, that I couldn't start just looking at things and being interested in them and sharing that interest because it all of a sudden fell with some weight because they thought I was the guy that broke the first one, even though I just made a video about the article. And, and I, I just got to keep all my fun to myself. Like I, I, I thought it was captivating. Like, so one aspect is that's bizarre because then I heard Michael K show, uh, Joel Sherman reported that there was rumors of the buzzers and Michael K show was doing a whole day on the buzzers. So I'm like, this is interesting. Um, so I started doing it. Now I get associated as I made up those rumors. Or I was the first one when I was <laughs> reacting to ESPN radio and Joel Sherman at the post. And if that's where he is um, articles, cause it was just out there. Um, but then, because my other video went so big, now it's like you made them up. People still think that that's the case in Houston. But for me, <laughs> like, it was true that Altuve was wearing an undershirt, a no undershirt all game. And then when he thought they were going to celebrate, he put on an undershirt. And then the Yankees tied it up. So he had a hit again and it was off again. <laughs> that's so interesting and weird. But, yeah. You know, and, and the tattoo story holds up and I fully believe him because he had a bad tattoo. He fixed it, blah, blah, but that's still interesting. But I got in trouble because all of a sudden people saw me as more, not just a fan having fun reacting to bizarre red strings on a wall, you know? So I don't know. Can we answer your question? Like there is some line. I don't ever want to feel like a reporter. I think it's part of my bio now. Like I'm not. Mm -hmm. trying to report or get people in trouble. Like, you know, the athletic kind of had the smoking gun. I just found the video, but there was a lot of fun to that whole saga that I got myself in trouble getting ahead of it. Well, you know, it's funny. And, and um, sometimes uh, in the internet, everyone gets painted with the same brush. Right. But I think that as a ball player, former ball players, you get very myopic about what you do and you tend to think about, um, that you play the game and you're the only one who knows about the game. 
as soon as I became a broadcaster in the last 20 years, I've really felt this great thing about baseball is that there's a hundred different ways to look at the game. And I think that that's what makes it fantastic. And, and I'm all in, but I would love to know, like, cause I, I, it seems to me, I don't know you. It seems to me that you have a great sense of humor and you're totally in on entertaining and all that stuff. But do you have a mantra when you're doing sports, but particularly baseball where like, I see the game in one way. I don't see it the way you see it, but I want to. So is there like a mantra when you look at a game and, and say, boy, I find that interesting because, or, or whatever. Yeah. I try to just share whatever I find interesting. Like uh, me personally, I, I love pitcher catcher communication. Uh, Pitchcom is somewhat ruining that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm somewhat okay. Cause I understand it, but I used to make videos all the time of um, just the catcher and the pitcher shaking off or, or fake shakes or, 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 you know, that whole communication. I did a whole video actually in 2019 of uh, Tanaka and Gary Sanchez who, speak uh, Japanese and Spanish, but they're fully communicating in sign language all game. It's fascinating. And some people that, some people that like, isn't even, they don't take it in at all. And, and then for me, I'm like, they're having a conversation the entire time and they don't even speak the same language. Um, So I, I like that. I know that what, well, for the same for me, Ron, when I started tweeting and building an audience and people started coming to me with their opinions, I was like, oh, yeah, I only talk to my friends, my dad, my brothers about, and we're all pretty much on the same wavelength. And I, all these different opinions come and I'm like, oh, you view it way different than I do. And then uh, doing the podcast with with uh, Ploof, who's a big leaguer for uh, parts of eight, nine years. Yeah. Um, he, he has a, a much different perspective because he comes from the player side of things. Uh, where sometimes we butt heads there too. Cause I'm like, no fans can still be fans. Like we're allowed to be irrational. And, <laughs> like, you know, no, you're and, not. That's the problem. Yeah. No, you're not. No, yeah. We're <laughs> like, cause the biggest thing for me is players don't get too hot. Don't get too happy. Don't get too mad. Stay even keeled yeah. the whole season fans. I give the complete opposite advice live and die with every game who the who the hell wants to be an even killed fan that's right that is so boring but good i can point. understand from a player very good point so you know we live and die with the, the wins and losses and i understand players can't but that's mm. two different things they're both right i think that's right i don't disagree with that and that's something that i've had to uh learn growing up playing baseball in philadelphia that the fan really believes in their heart of hearts that they want to win that game more than you. And it's because of what you just said, we have to kind of keep it within, you know, a range of, you know, not too high, not too low, because we have to show up again tomorrow where that fan may have been having this, you know, game on their calendar for two months. They've waited two months. They've seen the good games leading to that point, the bad games. And now this is their opportunity to let you know how much of a fan they are. And if it's not going right, trust me, they're going to let you know that also. So I definitely get the the part where and why you encourage the fan to be a fan, because when you're at home and everything's going great, you love it. You want the most rabid, loudest, craziest fans because they're for you and you want them to give the other team the business. They say whatever you need to to give us that home field advantage. But when it's happening to you and you're receiving it, you never think of it that way. It's just like. You know, you you hear it all the time. How would you like if I came to your job 
and yelled at you and blah, 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 blah. Well, the job that we accepted says that we have to deal with that stuff. So <laughs> we in and 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 in certain cities, especially East Coast cities, mainly East Coast cities, you have to learn how to love, how to understand the fan and the fact that they believe on every every single game they come to. They want to win that game more than you. You're borrowing the uniform. You have a you have a, you know, uh, uh, a, a time limit. They're fans until they expire on this earth. I, I do think there's something fascinating about that, that players come and go, but fans are always there. And it's you love the players when they're there, but there is some level of like, you know, and I'm a little kid. I I thought that every Yankee lived in New York and loved New York. And, you know, I meet <laughs> players now and it's like they don't even see their teammates in the offseason. And you just kind of fantasize this and you understand that as you grow up. But as as a fan, that's what you want to believe. So you kind of believe. And I, I also think that fans act way different at the ballpark than they do watching from home because, like you said, they paid to go to that game. So show me something tonight. Make my ticket worthwhile. So the in the East Coast, the boos are a little more freely, you know, because it's like, damn, <laughs> on the night that I'm here, boo. <laughs> and right, I, right. I, as long as you cheer, as loud, as long as you cheer twice as loud as you boo, I don't mind kind of just like if you're booing the moment, you know, if, if it's a big moment and a guy strikes out, I really, people get really offended by now, but I don't think there's that much weight behind it. I just think it's like, I, I wanted something different, boo. But I think that it's important <laughs> that you cheer. Like Cole had a rough outing, he didn't make it out of the first, he gets booed. Next next game, Cole goes seven, the whole stadium's on their feet yeah. cheering for him. Mm -hmm. That's cool, that's a good feeling. Yeah, I, I always think the premeditated boo is not my favorite. The fan that comes to boo because no, of what yeah. happened in the last game, that's always my least favorite. But the booing, that's that's part of it. When I first came back to New York in an Oakland uniform, I was in Yankee Stadium out in right center, and this fan, uh, hey, Ron, Ron Darling, I can't believe you're here. I loved you with the Mets, this or that. Three seconds go by, you're still a bum. You know, So those are the kind of things that you have to deal with uh, that are great. Hey, listen, we're doing the show about unwritten rules and we've talked about interacting with umpires brawls running up the score whatever what's an unwritten rule that you find the uh, nonsense well the 3-0 i find pretty nonsensical at this time it's kind of switched uh after the san diego stuff two years ago with texas i think a lot of people were like what yeah i didn't like it personally you know when you're up by seven in the eighth inning, it's typically not a good time to swing 3-0. Like I said, the, the norms are being challenged on a daily basis. So, Any unwritten rule that is just because the pitcher has a weapon and then he can, like, yeah. use it, I don't I don't like. Mm. Uh, like, you know, a lot That's of them. That's about 95% of them. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of them. It's a lot yeah. of them. So there's some, I, there's some I still like, and I just think it's in the spirit of the game. But, I mean, in this day and age, you get contracts based on stats. And That's right. And, and if you just because you, you threw three balls doesn't mean I can't swing at the next one. Uh, I completely no agree. I completely. The Jimmies are in agreement on that one, Brian. Yeah. I, I, li I like that. Uh, if I had one superpower in the booth, one superpower it would be able to read lips. You are amazing at it. I'm the worst. If, if a player or umpire swears, I got that one. But I cannot <laughs> read lips for, and it would really help. Uh, how do you do it? And Bud Black just points and goes, that's low. That is too low. Phil Cuzzy responds, I'm not listening to you all night. I don't know. I mean, I, 
I, I think context looms pretty large. Sometimes people send me one-off clips that aren't from a, a, a game or I don't know the context of the game. And I'm like, I, I don't know. But then other times I can get it. Gro growing up, I could do it. My dad would rewind the TiVo and, and say, what did, what did you just say, Jim? And, <laughs> and I could like somewhat figure it out. Uh, I never really utilized it until I started making these videos. The, the first one was Ron Culpa. Um, he said to him, she said, I can do whatever I want. And I saw it. Oh. And I Googled it and not wow. a lot of people were talking about it. And I was like, that, I don't know. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I have something that other people don't. Or or recently, um, everyone thought Joe Girardi was screaming at Scherzer, which is kind of a big deal because he was trying to pick a fight with a, another player. Yeah. I watched it and I could see that he was saying, uh, Kalo, uh, Kalo, Kevin Long. Yeah. He, you know, he's like, you want to go, Kalo? And I was like, oh, that's the, the coach. That's a different story than people are writing right now. They think right. he was yelling at the pitcher. So in a way to answer an earlier question, that was kind of like, I, I knew that that was kind of like journalistic in a way. Cause I was like, Hey, like, people need to know he wasn't yelling at a player. It's different to yell at another coach than the player. There's some sort of line there. So I, I could just read that one. I, but I, I don't know um, how or why sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it's really easy and quick. Um, Certain managers are easy. Certain managers aren't, but it's fun. I'm, I'm sure you would have had a hard time uh, understanding my manager, Charlie Manuel. Yeah. One, you had to, one, you had to draw. Two, I love Charlie, but you know sometimes the teeth would come out. It it it'll just mess you all up. So if you could find a good Charlie one and you can no. break that down with 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 the mute button on, please let us know. No way. <laughs> Brett Gardner has the draw, and he talks through like tight lips, and I could never, I never <laughs> once got it. Well, Jimmy O'Brien, thank you so much for coming on Unwritten. John Boy is one of the best things to go and see baseball content. You have more than baseball content, of course, but people who love baseball, they will love it for so many other reasons, the way that Jimmy O'Brien and his folks, I know you have a lot of help over there, um, get these videos out and entertain and explain. Thanks, uh, Jimmy. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me, guys. One of the things I remember, Jimmy, about sign stealing is that uh, and I'm not talking about Astro sign stealing. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about regular sign stealing is uh, when it would happen on the bench and one of the players would say, I have his signs. Mm -hmm. You'd have certain players who say, I don't want them. Don't give them to me. Why is that? I I was one of those guys. I, I did. I did not know. I mean, even if you forgot and were trying to give it to me, I just wouldn't pay attention. For me, and I think for a lot of guys, when you know what's coming, when you can get that heads up, you just swing just because you no longer start trying to, you know, read the pitch or look at the count and say, okay, this is count. He's going to do this thing. You become solely reliant on that guy. And it's less about hitting and more about is he giving me the sign? The last thing you want to do in the box is not have your mindset on hitting, not trust your instincts. Some guys were like, you know what? I want to know what's coming because I operate better in that in, in, in that uh, situation, especially when runners were in scoring position. Um, now, if don't get me wrong, if there was a run on third and less than less than two outs, and he could pick up something, and you know maybe you know or it, it, look, it isn't just the players. Sometimes it's yeah. the coaches. 
you know, they right. take a step left, they take a step right. And I can get a heads up on a guy that I'm struggling against. I'm not feeling comfortable or I'm just not comfortable in the box at that moment. Then, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll take that as a situation uh, to get that RBI. But other than that, look, you, it's just like spring training when you guys, hey, change up, fastball, slider. Now, yes, you're anticipating your t- and your takes look great on a bad pitch, but on a one on one that's that's decent, that's hanging out in the strike zone um, long enough. You have bad swings and misses. And why did I swing? I know it's spring training because I knew what was mm. coming. That is it. So for me, it never worked. I like to read it and make a decision, you know, although it happens fast. I like to make the decision on a pitch and anticipate what I think is going to happen as opposed to knowing what was going to happen. That's funny. Uh, we, we always think about sign stealing as just knowing what the pitch is going to be, but we never talk about coaches, third and first base coaches. You can sometimes get their signs if you have a certain skill. Yes, yes, you can. And um, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't like to pick on the Mets, but, you know, I, I knew everything <laughs> yes, they were do. doing. I, yes, I, you I, do. I just did. <laughs> okay, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, I mean, I'm always one as an infielder. Uh, I'm always looking around, looking for situations. You know, hey, I noticed they went hat, ear, leg across the belt, back to the ear, across the bib of the hat. And something happened, you know, and you remember these sequences. So when the situation comes up again, you see it. It's like, you know, I mean, and you can't do it in today's game as much. But, hey, you call yeah. a timeout. You call out the catcher and the pitcher. Hey, look, hey, uh, you know, let's let's make them run that again. Let's try a pitch out here or maybe set up. I know the situation doesn't, you know, call for fastball away. We're trying to get them out. But maybe let's set up a little bit outside to give ourselves a chance. And if they don't pick up on that or they think I'm just, you know, calling timeout to talk about pitch sequence, then they're wrong. So I'm always looking and studying because someone is giving away something, whether they realize it or not. And you can't see everyone. So you have to realize you have to find out who's the one giving the signs, who's responsible. You have the decoys. You have kept coaches standing next to each other and they're both doing it. One of them is real and one of them isn't. So, um Look, look, you know, is 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 stealing a sign cheating? No, I'm beating you at your game. That's yeah. what I'm that's what I'm supposed to do. But using technology in real time when it's clearly giving you an advantage, that is just completely uh there's completely no room in the game for that. I remember I was at a golf tournament and part of the after golf scene was Bobby Thompson, shot heard around the world, yep. and Ralph Branca were doing an interview with Bob Costas, who was sitting between them and asking them questions. And Bob went to Ralph Branca first, and he said, uh, Ralph, what was your life like the day after Bobby Thompson hit the, uh, hit the home run? He said, I was devastated because they were stealing signs. <laughs> that's, the first thing, <laughs> that's the first thing he said. He said that I, I knew they were stealing signs. I certainly didn't make my pitch, but the Giants went 49 and 17 down the stretch to catch us because they were stealing signs. I was like, <laughs> this was 50 years after the event. So people can still be bitter about it. I mean, there's so many instances of teams stealing signs. It will always be that way. Um, the pitch com might help. But I think when you think of, um, to me, the final verdict on stealing signs is that within the framework of the game, nothing from the bench, nothing lights in center field, no one whistling from third base, none of that stuff. Within the framework of the game that you're using your brain power while you're also using your physicality to get an advantage, I think is something that 
I think should always be a big part of the game because it's a beautiful part of the game. And it's usually a part of the game that's passed down to you from someone uh, who was your mentor. And Ron, I could not agree with you more than that. Look, if I do my homework and you're not doing yours, I have the advantage. It's that simple. I did nothing that you couldn't have done to take advantage of what we're doing on our side or to know that they do this. How can I one up that? It's a game of cat and mouse. This is, you know, we always say this, this is uh, chess, not checkers. Yes, it is. <laughs> I am. Look, I'm trying to put you in a position where you have no moves left and I have everything. You have to find a way to get out of that. And you talking about baseball IQ. Uh, I think that's something that is a part of baseball IQ that does not get talked about how to take advantage of the things that are happening around you without the other team knowing that doesn't require speed. That doesn't require a great arm. That doesn't require your ability to, to make, you know, contact. Isn't, isn't just purely instincts. It takes homework. It takes time. And it's something that you learn. It is passed down. Then you learn it. Then you learn to perfect the craft. It is a craft. I mean, there's some guys, they could look at two or three pitches like I got them. What? How? <laughs> what, 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 what do you see? It, you know, th th those are things that when you talk about a, a player's IQ, all that factors in. And then the way he implements it in the game, that's what separates, you know, good players from great players. Not just the talented. Everybody's talented at that level. But what takes a guy to, a, to the next level? And that's something I think uh, doesn't get sp uh, spoken about enough. You know, one of the great things that I'm learning here from Unwritten, working with you, Jimmy, is you got a PhD uh, in baseball. <laughs> I'm Ron Darling, Jimmy Rollins, Unwritten. Thanks for listening. Unwritten is a production of Odyssey and Major League Baseball. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen of Odyssey with Ian Kay of Major League Baseball. Lena Glazer is the executive producer of 2400 Sports at Odyssey. Jody Avergan and Nick Trotta of MLB are executive producers. Special thanks to everyone at Major League Baseball and Odyssey who helped make this show happen. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating or a review in your podcaster player of choice. Or just tell someone about the show. For Jimmy Rollins, I'm Ron Darling. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon with more on baseball's unwritten rules.